0: Let's turn now to in our Bibles to our scripture lesson for this morning, which is the fifth chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. We'll be reading this chapter in its entirety. This requires always a little patience on the part of God's people as they hear a genealogy being read here this morning, but uh, we hope to... Make some comments on the purpose for that genealogy this morning as well in the context of our message. So we read here, Adam's descendants to Noah, chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. And this is, of course, a portion of the word of God. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 90, 910 years, and he died. Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and had other sons and daughters. As all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died after Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So far, the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing uh, to that word as we reflect upon it. And as we also then, uh, this morning in a special way, I will be focusing on the uh, 24th verse of this chapter as our text and it reads uh, as follows, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. One of the most wonderful activities that we can engage in every single day again, people of God is walking. You might not think it's so special, but it is indeed special that we are able every morning when we get up out of our beds immediately to be able to walk again and go about our activities for another day. Yes, we do it without thinking, day in, day out. And it is indeed a privilege to be able to walk. Only think about people that you know or don't know, people that have disabilities or diseases or for other reasons are unable to walk. Maybe have never been able to walk. Or you and I, we know at some point as we get older, we too will come to a point in our lives when we will find it difficult to walk, perhaps not even being able to walk as we age. And so it is indeed something to thank the Lord for that we're able every day again, get up and we walk around and at night we go back to bed and we rest again the next day we do some more walking. This morning, I'd like to speak to you, however, about a different kind of walking, not the physical kind that you and I do each day, but a spiritual kind of walk that I trust will also be part of our life every day. The Bible speaks of it quite often, in fact. It calls it walking with God. Look up the word walk sometime in your Bibles, or derivatives, walked or walking, and you will find that it occurs very frequently in the Bible. But almost always, it is speaking about a spiritual activity. For example, we read in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. In Isaiah 2, verse 5, we are urged, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus said in that familiar text that we know in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In these and many more passages, it talks about a spiritual kind of walking. However, to teach us what that is like, what that involves, the Bible also gives us some examples for such walking. It cites some persons who walked spiritually, and in a special way walked with God. And one of the best known persons in that regard is the one that we heard this morning mentioned in our scripture lesson, a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch, it says, was a man who walked with God. Or as our text puts it, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, Christians like yourselves have often been intrigued by this man. You probably have been especially curious about what happened to him recorded in that brief last comment of the text, and he was not, for God took him. And I will come to that statement as we end our message this morning. Towards the end of our message, we will focus on that, what happened to him. But the central truth that we should remember about Enoch is not what happened to him, but what he did in his life. He walked with God. That was the key to his life That's what the Scripture takes special note of and wants us to remember. But now before we come to that, it's good first of all this morning for a moment to look at the identity of this unique man and saint of God named Enoch. Who was this man? What was his identity? Well, the primary reference to him in the Bible is in the chapter that we just read, Genesis chapter 5. And need I tell you, after you heard it read, that this chapter constitutes a genealogy. The first genealogy, actually, that we have recorded in the Bible. Now, I agree that genealogies typically are not the most exciting things to read. They're basically a list of names. But they do have a purpose, and they do carry a message in Scripture. And one basic truth that we learn here in this genealogy, in chapter Genesis 5, is that After Adam's fall, all became subject to death. All people had to die. That's why we hear that constant refrain, didn't we, in this chapter? It says, so all the days of, and then it mentions the name of the person, were so many, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. That's the refrain that you hear after every name virtually, except for one. Begins already in verse 5 with Adam. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 939 years and he died. So this is really one long obituary column that we have here in Scripture. And You ask yourself, well, why did the Holy Spirit have this inspired and put into the Scripture? And as I said, it's to remind us again of what happened when man fell away from God. The result of that was man fell into sin not only, but also became subject to death. This earth, which was a perfect paradise, now turned into a worldwide graveyard. As you heard, these persons live long lives, on the other hand. Incredibly long lives, really. Many of them, as you heard, lived 900 years or more, or over 800 years. Amazing, really, when you think that through. How, how could that be? Were they stronger than us today, among whom it is unusual even to reach 100 years? And they lived 800 years? Well, I undoubtedly think they were stronger than us. I believe God gave them bodies that were much stronger than ours to populate the earth. God told Adam and Eve, remember at the beginning, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this was his way of filling the earth, giving these ancients extraordinarily long lives for a time. Subsequently, they became shorter and shorter, as you well know as well. But these long lives, you know, were not an unmixed blessing because they were not easy lives either. They were years that were filled with toil and hardship and ultimately all ended up in death. But there is another reason then that the Spirit inspired this passage to be recorded in the Scriptures. It also carries the message That God is faithful and gracious to his covenant promise. A promise that He had already noted or indicated in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he would raise up for the woman a seed. A seed that would come, a deliverer one day would come, a Savior, who would then also crush the the seed and the serpent of the the serpent himself as well. Yes, it's worthy of note that that if you read Genesis chapter 4 the chapter just before this one, you read there about the seed, the descendants of the serpent. It talks there about the the descendants of Adam's son, Cain. Cain's offspring were a wicked generation. Like the men like Lamech mentioned there, who boasted about to his wives that he had killed a man who had hurt him. That was the line of the ungodly. But in Genesis 5, we have the line of the godly the descendants of Adam through his son Seth. That was the covenant line. It's the line that ends in the chapter, therefore, with the birth of Noah and his sons, through whom God will continue the human race after the global flood, and thereby also preserve a seed of the woman, a covenant seed. That doesn't mean now that everybody who's mentioned here in Genesis 5 was necessarily a godly person or that their families were godly people. We don't know what persons like Canaan and Mahalalel, and Jared, and their families were all like. It doesn't mention that specifically. We have good reason, in fact, I think, to believe that many of the families mentioned in Genesis 5 turn out to be families that turn also away from God. Because right after Genesis 5 comes Genesis 6, the account of Noah and the flood, when it said that virtually all the inhabitants of the earth had become wicked and corrupt. Whatever all these persons in the genealogy were like, there was certainly one person in this list who is singled out there and clearly and definitely mentioned as a godly man, a true covenant child of God, and that's Enoch. Indeed, isn't it striking how all of a sudden, as you're reading through this genealogy, and you hear this repetitive litany of birth, life, death, Suddenly, a comment is inserted here about one of these descendants of Adam. As the inspired writer Moses pauses a moment as he mentions Enoch and writes about him, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Here was a very unique man among all these ancients. What do we know about his identity then? We know that he lived not that long after Adam, the New Testament writer Jude says about Enoch that he was, one, he was from the seventh generation after Adam. And then Jude also mentions that Enoch was a prophet. He was a person who spoke God's word in a time of wickedness and declared God's judgment against the wicked. And in that respect, he was a forerunner of Noah who spoke of God's intentions as well as a prophet to destroy mankind in the world with a flood. And so Enoch also did not have an easy task in his life as he lived and as he spoke for God in those pre-flood years. Now, we don't know more about his identity than that, really, specifically, that is. We know from Genesis 5, of course, that he was the son of a man called Jair, about whom we know nothing else. We also know that he was the father of Methuselah, whom you boys and girls probably know. Methuselah was the oldest man mentioned in the Bible. Methuselah lived 969 years. But there is something else mentioned about Enoch that will always be especially remembered by us, or should be, the key to this man's life and conduct. Enoch walked with God. And so let me turn secondly then this morning to what the Bible singles about him here and what that all means. It's mentioned twice in the chapter. First we read in Genesis, in verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had sons and daughters. Uh, And verse 21 had already mentioned that Enoch was 65 years old when he begat his firstborn son Methuselah. That that may indicate that at the age of 65, Enoch underwent some kind of a conversion experience, perhaps. And from that point on, it says, for 300 years, Enoch walked with God. And then it repeats that truth again in verse 24, which says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But now, Let's turn to that phrase then, he walked with God. What does that really mean? It refers, of course, to Enoch's spiritual life. It refers to his relationship to God and how he lived his life on this earth. And his walk with God, we can say, involved several things. One thing it included, certainly, first of all, is that Enoch trusted in God. Enoch was a man of faith who believed in God. Firmly believed in him. Any person who wants to walk with God must, first of all, of course, know him. Know who he is, but also believe in him. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5 or 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, we don't have to think necessarily that Enoch went strolling next to God, literally speaking. That's what it means that he walked with God. It could have been at times. The Bible says that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve when they were yet perfect in the Garden of Eden. And I think in that context, it probably was God literally uh, taking on the form of a man, for God is a spirit uh, walking with Adam and Eve and communing with them. But I think all of that disappeared basically after man's fall. God did occasionally appear to persons in a human form that he took on. We call those theophanies. For example, he came to Abraham once and talked with Abraham. And he may indeed have appeared to Enoch in that form as well at times. But, but I don't think that's the essence here of his, of his walk with God, that he literally strolled with a man, with God in, a, in the form of a man. The, the point here is that he walked with God by faith, by faith as it is for all God's children today. Uh, Jesus also once walked, as you know, with his own disciples and others when he was living on earth in Palestine. Uh, but he's no longer with us. And the essence now of our walk with God is not one of literally, of a literal physical walk, but it is of a matter of faith. We we believe in Christ even though we do not see him. That's what we need, a faith that believes in spite of the fact that we cannot see a person literally. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verse 5, another key reference to Enoch in the Bible says, By faith, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Notice a reference there to his faith in that chapter that speaks of the faith of the ancients. And then Hebrews makes the comment that God took him and that Enoch pleased God. How did Enoch please God? By his daily life of faith in him. As Hebrews 11 verse 6 says immediately thereafter, and without faith it is impossible to please him. You see, people of God, faith is not just something you need to be converted. It is isn't something that we need just once in our lifetime and then we're fine. We're saved now. We've believed in Jesus. Faith is something that we must exercise day after day, week after week, our whole life long. It has to be there all the time, in all the circumstances of our lives. I often think it's kind of like a marriage relationship. You know, a husband and a wife are united together at one point in a marriage, but the love that they share together is not just for that one occasion. That love must always be there every day, and that love must include faith every day, trusting one another every day. Without trust, one cannot have true oneness and fellowship with one's spouse. Enoch walked with God That means he trusted in God every day again for all his life, for all his needs. That's how you and I should live each day as well, by constant faith in God and in our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the expression walking with God includes more than just faith. It also includes this element, communion, fellowship with God. I said just a moment ago that we don't have to necessarily think that Enoch went literally strolling next to God. But he did have the closest fellowship with God. That's always part of a true walk with God. He sensed the presence of God with him day by day. It was as if God was always there with him, next to him. That's how it was with our Lord Jesus, you remember as well. When he lived on this earth, God the Father was always with him. He was in daily fellowship with his Father. And for Jesus, of course, that was a perfect communion. But Enoch no doubt also experienced something of that blessing of fellowship with God. And now such fellowship, such communion between two persons normally involves two key elements. One is speaking to one another. The other is listening to one another. When you have fellowship together with anyone, it involves speaking, it involves also listening. And, of course, just being present near one can be, in in some sense, an experience of fellowship as well. But, But did you ever think of it, that our fellowship with God also involves those two key elements. He talks with us, and we listen to him, and vice versa, we talk to him, and he listens to us. And that always is the case. That's true fellowship. In fact, what should come first, of course, is that we always listen, that we listen to God. We listen to him speak to us. When does that happen? Well, whenever we hear his word proclaimed. Whenever he teaches us through his word, by his spirit, whether we do so or hear from the pulpit or whether we do it in our own personal devotional life. When we read his word, we are listening, listening to our Father in heaven. And then there's also the, uh, the reverse, of course. We speak to him, and then he listens to us. How does that occur? That occurs every time we offer prayer to God. Prayer is us speaking and God listening. After we have heard him speak to us, and we know him, and we know his truth, we respond to him in prayer. And you see, both, of, both those aspects, both those elements are our key aspects of having fellowship with God. And if only our walk with God were closer in that regard than it often is. That hymn that we just sang kind of expresses that desire, that wish of the child of God, oh, for a closer walk with God. That should be our daily, daily desire. Have you neglected, have you neglected to listen to him each day? How often do you read, the Bible. How long a passage of the Bible do you read? Do you meditate on what you read? Do you think of what, about what you are reading, what it tells you? Do you seek to study it and to understand it better? How often do you pray to Him? Do you realize whenever you pray you're talking to your Father in heaven personally? How long do you do so? Is it only for a few moments or a few minutes? Is it an earnest prayer? Is it a meaningful prayer? Are you concentrating when you pray? Yes, indeed. We must pray without ceasing. And so taken together, how was your walk with God? Enoch experienced daily fellowship with God. That's what it means that he walked with God. And then I should add yet one more element here. One more feature of his walk with God that's also necessary and included. Enoch had faith in God. He had fellowship with God. He also had obedience, obedience to him. Because although we can walk with God, there is always something that can very quickly disrupt that walk. Something that can even destroy our walk with him. You know what it is? It is disobedience to God. It is sin against him. All sin by nature breaks fellowship with God. We read it this morning in 1 John 1. For our assurance of pardon, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness or in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. You cannot be walking with God and living in sin. The prophet Micah told the people of Israel in his day who were disobeying God's laws. They were oppressing the poor. They were committing violence. They were worshiping idols. And Micah, or God through Micah, said, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Enoch was not living in sin when he walked with God. Of course, he wasn't perfect by any means. Enoch was a sinner also like us by nature. But living in sin, living in sin, knowing it is sin, yet persisting in doing it, that's of course different. Those who claim to walk with God and yet are walking in sin are called in scripture hypocrites. We must not pretend to have fellowship with God when we really have no interest in obeying him or living for him an upright life. Walking with God always includes obedience to him and to his holy word. That's why Psalm 119 verse 1 says, how blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. And is that also true of your life? Are you walking with God in faith, in fellowship, and also in obedience to him. That, in alone you can, that alone can you experience true fellowship and blessing in the Lord. Enoch was a man who walked with God, and that sums up the essence of his life, and may it sum up the essence also of our lives. Then we can receive the Lord's blessing. In fact, Enoch received from God a very special blessing. That brings me thirdly and lastly this morning then to what happened to him, to this man, what most of us, of course, always think about and remember about him as well. Where the Enoch's walk with God lead him, it led him to one of the most unusual, unique, glorious endings to a person's life that is imaginable. We often refer to this congregation as Enoch's translation because the King James Version of the Bible speaks of it as him being translated. Genesis 5.24 says it like this, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. What does that mean? He was not and for God took him. Well, the phrase he was not, we today would say in our way of speaking simply, he was no longer around. He was gone. And as to that phrase, God took him, Well, that's an expression that we also still use today, don't we, rather commonly as Christians when a person dies. We say the Lord took him. The Lord took that person to be with him as a believer, to be with him in heaven. But God does it for us. He does it for us through the gate of death, physical death. That's how God takes us. But in Enoch's case, God took him away in a different manner. Because if Enoch, you see, had died, a a typical death as we die, then Genesis 5 certainly would have mentioned that refrain about him as it mentions about all the other ones that are mentioned here in that chapter. Then it would have said, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and he died. But that's not what it says about Enoch, does it? Of Enoch it says, and he was not, for God took him. How did God take him? Hebrews 11, verse 5, which we quoted earlier, makes it clear. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. So that he should not see death. Where did God take him? Well, he took him to be with him in heaven, of course. Where else would God have taken him? That word translation that's used to uh, in the King James Version, is an interesting word. It means means transferred or transported. It reminds us, you know, what God did later on uh, to the prophet Elijah. God also translated him. And there was more in a, a literal way of speaking, or at least the way it was perceived by Elisha, who saw Elijah go. In dramatic fashion, we read, Elijah was caught up in a storm and in a fiery chariot, as it were, he was taken up to heaven. He, too, was translated, he, too, did not die. Well, what a unique act of God, really, to allow those two particular sinners mentioned in the scripture, Enoch and Elijah, to escape that last enemy of death, to enter directly into God's glorious presence. I would say it was certainly a special reward, a unique gift that God gave here to these two faithful servants of his, though they certainly were not worthy of it in themselves. Yet God rewarded them with this special ending to their earthly lives. It leads me in conclusion this morning, people of God, uh, to two to thoughts that occur to me here. Uh, and one, has it ever struck you that our Lord Jesus went to heaven, but he first did have to die, didn't he? He did have to die, although he was perfect. But he had to die as the perfect son of God. Why did Jesus have to die and not simply go to heaven without dying? And you all know the answer to that question. Christ had to die so that he would take upon himself our sin and our punishment. He bore our guilt in body and in soul. He had to endure the wrath of God in our place. That's why he had to go through physical death. And not only that, but also even eternal death, hell itself in our place. So Jesus died for our salvation. He also died for the salvation of Enoch and Elijah. They too deserve death even though God permitted them this unique blessing or gave them that unique blessing of entering into his presence without dying physically. Oh, praise be to our Savior's name that he was willing to suffer death for us, though he was himself without sin. Then, of course, after that, when he had fulfilled his mission, then indeed he did ascend to heaven physically as the living, resurrected Lord. But the second thought I have this morning When God permitted Enoch to enter heaven without dying, he was, I believe, he he was pointing us to a future day when all his people will receive glorious bodies. Yes, all of us are appointed to die in our present bodies. But one day the Lord Jesus will come again in the clouds of heaven, and then he will resurrect his saints who will then enter into heaven without dying again. Their bodies raised from the dead will be instantly translated into bodies and souls to enter into God's eternal creation. What a day that will be. In that day to be found with Christ. After God took Enoch away, the Bible says his loved ones could not find him one day. After he had turned 365 years, they could not find him. And the fact that the Bible mentions that he could not be found, to me, indicates that they were looking for him. They went looking for him. They could find no trace of him. He was gone. But he was not lost. He was not lost. He was found with God. That's the way it is with God's children, too, who've walked with him when our loved ones die, we don't lose them. Though we know we we often say it that way, we lost them. No, we don't lose them. Because we know exactly where they are. We know where they are. They are found with Christ in glory. And so will also be said of you one day. No, you're not lost. You're found. You and I are found with Christ. and One day we'll be found there, walking with God in his blessed presence for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for the truth you've presented to us here this morning. We are grateful again to know that you are a God who is aware of all of us and of our daily walk in life. May it be that we are made aware again this morning that we are to walk with you faithfully, closely, daily, in close faith, in fellowship, and in obedience to you, the Lord our God. O Lord God, we pray that you will bless us in that exercise. We know walking is a blessing physically for us to be able to do so. Well, may we always deem it a special blessing to be able to walk with our God, even though we do not see you, even do not do not see Jesus with our physical eyes. May we indeed see you and have fellowship with you by faith in you. And may your presence fill us with renewed strength and blessing, peace, as you have promised us when we walk in fellowship with our God. And so we pray that we may one day also know the blessing of walking with our God, and walking with our Savior in eternity. Bless your people, then we pray, that we may grow closer to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.